Hey, good morning again. When I was a kid, every Christmas Eve, our family would load up all eight of us into the van, family van. We would head off for Christmas Eve services at Cross of Christ Lutheran. And one of the things that we could expect each and every year was that we'd get a candle like this when we walked in. Another thing that we would expect every year is that we would be reading the Christmas story right from the Bible. Another thing we could expect when we went to those services is that at some point during the, the evening, they would turn off all the lights in the church and we'd light those candles and we'd sing Silent Night by Candlelight. And then another thing that we could expect each and every year was that we would always end with joy to the world. On Christmas Eve, you knew what to expect if you were attending Christmas Eve services at Cross of Christ Lutheran. Well, two weeks ago, we launched a new series called Expecting. And when we launched that series, we launched it with a conversation about different expectations that people have when it comes to God. That was week one. In week two, we looked at the unexpected people who experienced God that first Christmas. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at unexpected places, unexpected places where God can be found. Well, throughout the centuries, people have associated the presence of God with specific places. Ocean sides, mountaintops, caves, cathedrals, camps, maybe even a children's home in Juarez, Mexico. All around the world, you can find places where people expect God to show up. Many of these places, they date back thousands of years. And it's really interesting to see how many of these places where people expect to meet God, how many of those places are now in ruins. That would be a really interesting conversation at some point, wouldn't it? To talk about why, what happened. All right. Well, maybe you have a place. Maybe you have a place where you expect God to show up too. Maybe it's a place where you felt close to God in the past. Or maybe it's a place you think that God might be found. In 2020, a whole lot of people found themselves crying out to God for help. A lot of people, for the first time, they'd never done that before. But this year, they felt, I'm just, I, just, I, I need help from above. Well, if you could use some help or some hope or some guidance from God, where should you expect to find him? That's what we're going to wrestle with today. And let's get started. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. Where do you expect God to show up? Now, rather than me just offering some thoughts on this, what I'd like to do today is to turn to a section of the Bible where this actually happened. A time when God sent a specific messenger with a specific message to a specific place. One of the things that I love about this example is the irony. We are about to see in an example of an unexpected account, encounter, but it occurred right where the guy should have expected it to happen. So it was an unexpected encounter, but he should have expected it. I'm so excited to dig into this with you. If you have your Bible with you, let's uh, open up. Let's look to go to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to start with verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Luke, the author of this section of the Bible, he put a time stamp on the story. This is a real event, and it happened during the time of Herod. And in that time and in that place, 
Zechariah was one of about 18,000 priests comprising 24 divisions. And they served at the temple for a one-week time period twice a year. All right, so that's some of the context. Verses 6 through 7. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. All right, let's talk about this a little bit because there's tension, tension being set up here by Luke. He's setting it up and it's easy to miss if you don't know the history or if you've never experienced this yourself. Luke introduces Zechariah and Elizabeth as righteous. These are God-honoring folks. And yet, God hasn't blessed them with a child. Many of you know what that feels like. In that time and in that place, infertility was considered a sign. People thought it was a sign that you had done something wrong in God's sight or that somehow God was withholding a blessing from you. I mean, can you imagine that? on top of the, the pain of desiring to have a baby and not able to have one, imagine then if you were being shamed for that. People saying, it's your fault. You must have done something wrong. All right, let's continue with the, the, uh, the text here. Verses 8 through 10. Now, while Zechariah was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. All right, let's talk about this. And let's make sure that we put it into context because Luke is setting something up here too. All right, does anyone remember how many priests there were? 18,000 priests. And how often did they serve? They only served for a one-week period of time, twice a year. Well, with those odds, being chosen to go into the temple and burn incense, this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And only priests were eligible for this. We just read that the priests were chosen by lot for this honor. And if you were one of the lucky ones chosen, your name was taken out of the lottery next time. So you literally had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity if your name was chosen to do what was considered amazing because you had the opportunity to go into what was considered the holiest place on the planet. Ooh, the temple in Jerusalem. Now do you notice that Luke also in his text, he provided spatial markers the rest of the priests, where were they? When Zechariah got to go inside, they were all outside. The altar of incense that, that Zechariah is approaching here, it's located in the temple. It was in a chamber known as the holy place. That, would, that place, this holy place, it would have been just steps away from what was called the Holy of Holies. This was the holiest spot on earth. This is where heaven and earth were thought to intersect. And there Zechariah is, once in a lifetime opportunity. He is literally just steps away. He is in the holiest place he was allowed to go because only the high priest could go to the Holy Holies and once, only once a year. So at this moment, 
Zechariah was in the place that was considered as close as a person could physically come to the presence of God on that particular day. He's in the right place. And what were all those multitudes of priests and people doing outside? They were praying. So he's in the right place. People are praying. He's about to offer incense. Do you see the significance of this moment? All right, here comes the irony. Are you ready for it? Here we go. Verses 11 through 12. And there appeared to Zechariah, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. All right, I wonder, anyone else catching this irony here? God sends one of his messengers with a message for Zechariah. And what was Zechariah's reaction? He was troubled, the word says. Fear fell upon him, the word says. All right. Do you see the irony here? Out of all of the places where Zechariah, the priest, should have expected God to show up, he was troubled and full of fear when God sent a messenger to him. Luke provides another detail. Where did the angel appear in reference to the altar? On the right-hand side, on the side of honor. If God is going to send one of his messengers to anyone, anywhere, this is the guy, this is the place. And yet, when God showed up in this way, Zechariah didn't expect it. Zechariah was surprised to hear from God in the temple. Let that sink in for just a second. Zechariah was surprised to hear from God in the temple. Well, here are three great questions that you might want to reflect on with your small church or just personally. Do you expect to hear from God when you gather for worship? Number two, what do you expect that would look like? And number three, how do our expectations expect our experience? I have all those questions in the notes that you can download. And I think these are important questions, but here's why I don't want to sit on them too long today. Weekly worship services are important. Meeting together is important. Establishing a rhythm in the lives of the next generation is important. And that's not today's takeaway. So let's go deeper. Here we go. Verses 13 through 15. But the angel said to Zechariah, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. All right, let's talk about this. The angel's first words were, Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been with a show of hands, wherever you are. How many of you need to hear that today? Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. You need to hear that. Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. And here's the thing about answered prayer. 
God is often answering multiple prayers at once. Did you know that? Here's an example of this. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had been praying for a child. What were the multitudes praying out there while he was in that, that sanctuary? They were probably praying for their nation, for a savior, for a deliverer to come. And when their prayer was answered, their son prepared the way for that very Messiah, that very Christ. So I say to you, don't be afraid. Your prayer's been heard. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is yes. And sometimes, like is the case in this story, the answer is not yet. Not yet. I came across this great quote this week. It actually comes from two different commentaries, but it's by the same guy. So, so I, I mashed these two quotes up from these two different commentaries. Sometimes God's answers to prayer come in surprising ways after a long time. God often leaves indicators that he's at work if we just keep our eyes and our hearts open for them. Rarely does he just show up. Can I get an amen to that? All right, let's jump ahead. We're going to go to verses 18, yeah, 18 through 20. And Zechariah said to the angel, okay, how do I know this? I'm an old man. My wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled, and what does it say? In their time, in their time. This is such a good reminder of so many things. Good reminder that when the answer is yes, it'll be fulfilled in its time. But here's another good reminder. Even the most righteous among us have our doubts. Zechariah, what did it say? He was righteous, his wife was righteous. Even the most Righteous among us will have our doubts. Here's another great reminder from this passage. It's also a great reminder, miracles aren't as convincing as we think they would be. What do we just see here? And what do we see countless times in the Bible? We see here, you know, we, you, we might be thinking, well, if an angel showed up to me, huh, I'd believe. What happened with Zechariah? Angel shows up and he still has his doubts. Zechariah, a righteous man, saw an angel, and he still had doubts. Okay, story doesn't end there. Let's keep going uh, with the doubts. It doesn't end with the doubts. Verses 21 uh, through 25. It says this, And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when Zechariah came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service had ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. All right. The story doesn't end here either. There's an epilogue. And it supports a theory that we floated out there last week. A theory about two characteristics 
uh, that you can find in people who hear from God. Two characteristics they have in common. Let's jump ahead to the epilogue, verses 57 through 63 says this. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. She bore a son, and their neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but her mother said, oh, no, no, no. He is to be called John. And they said to her, uh, none of your relatives are called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring he, what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet. And he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. When it came time, for God's promises to be fulfilled, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had a choice to make. Would they name the child Zechariah Jr., which they felt the pressure to do, which they may have wanted to do, or would they name the child John as the angel had instructed? Elizabeth and Zechariah, they chose not to do what they were instructed to do, by, or what they were expected to do by the people or felt pressure to do by the people. They didn't do what they may have wanted to do. They did what the angel had told them. They responded with obedience. Obedience. If you were with us last week, that was one of those characteristics. That was one of those responses that we talked about that, that people seem to have in common, those who heard from God. All right, what Zechariah does next, it might sound familiar too if you were listening last week. Verse 64, and, and, and immediately his mouth, Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he spoke. And what did he happen? What came out of his mouth? He, he blessed God. He blessed God. When his speech was restored, Zechariah praised God. Zechariah is another example of someone who responded with both praise and obedience. Those are those two characteristics. We saw them last, last week. Praise and obedience, like the shepherds did last week. And then like we're going to see next week in a young woman named Mary. If you've been taking notes, I invite you to write this down. Emmanuel can be experienced anywhere where people respond with praise and obedience. The name Emmanuel is a name that's associated with Jesus. It means God with us. The God of the Bible is a God who is with us. The God of the Bible is a Bible who, a God who breaks into our world. And as I mentioned earlier, it's important. It is important to gather for weekly worship. And I'm a big believer in going to those places where you have a special connection with God, like a camp or a short-term mission trip, or some of you even had the opportunity to visit the Holy Land. But here is our main takeaway today. Emmanuel can be experienced anywhere that people respond with praise and obedience. Zechariah was surprised to hear from God in the temple. The shepherds were surprised to hear from God in the fields. Mary was surprised to hear from God at home. So here is another question for you as we draw to the near to the end of this message. Where has God placed you? Where has he placed you? That is another great question question to reflect on because wherever he's placed you he can meet you there where's God placed you where do you live where do you work what teams are you on what friends do you have Emmanuel can be experienced anywhere that people respond with praise and obedience and this holds true even in hard times even in hard places that we find ourselves in
You have a great example in the Bible of a godly man named Paul. And he's thrown in prison. And he was thrown in prison for doing the right thing. Let's be honest. If that happened to a lot of us, we'd be swearing. And kids, if you're watching, is that a good response to swear? No. But instead of swearing, what was Paul doing? Paul wasn't swearing. He was singing. Obedience and praise. Praise and obedience. And what happened in that prison? God showed up. We've been giving you a lot of reflection questions this morning. Let me give you another one. Here we go. A great question to ask yourself at the end of each day is, were you attentive to God's presence? I'm trying to ask myself a number of questions each and every night at the end of my day. This is one of them. And guess what happens when you try to ask yourself this question each day? Was I attentive to God's presence? The more you start asking that question, the more you become attentive to his, pres his presence. It was interesting, just on my way here, I had all kinds of crazy going on in my life, but on my way here, I was attentive to his presence and it, it opened my eyes to what a beautiful day it was outside and how he was with me in that moment. Another time it paid off just this week was a couple nights ago. We have got right now some huge decisions ahead of us as a church. Huge decisions. And I've been feeling the weight of that. And as I woke up at 3 o'clock one morning, 3 o'clock in the morning uh, this week, with my thoughts racing, I was able to remember I don't have to travel thousands of miles to the site where the temple was in Jerusalem. I could experience the Holy of Holies. I could enter the Holy of Holies right there on my basement couch. Did it make all the challenges go away? Nope. Make all the questions go away? Nope. But what did it do? It reminded me, I'm not walking through this alone. We're not walking through this alone. God is with us. All right, got one last point to make, one last story to share, then we're gonna seal this time with a song. Here's the point, unexpected places may be more significant than they seem. Can I get an amen to that? A, a, an unexpected place may be more significant than it seems. That's the point. Here's the story. It's one of my favorite ones to tell. I've shared it before, but I know a lot of you haven't heard this yet. The story begins when I was serving on the staff of an inner city mission in Minneapolis. And man, God was showing up that summer. There were so many great ministry things happening all over the place. Then right in the middle of this summer where God was doing so many obvious things, I got called to jury duty. And not only did I get called to jury duty, I got put on a murder trial. And for the next two weeks, I sat hearing all these horrible things that this guy did. This guy named Philip Cole, who had murdered a Hutchinson police officer named Michael Hogan. You can look all this stuff up, even though it happened way back in the 80s. Well, at the time, I couldn't understand. God, why are you pulling me out of a place where you are clearly working in and through these, these things that we were doing? Why are you pulling me out of that and putting me on a jury when you could have picked anybody else for that? Well, the mission, I thought, was the right place. Okay, now let's fast forward a couple years. A couple years later, I found myself at a different place, 
And at that different place, I found myself asking, why am I here? And the place I was at was a camp. It was a Christian camp. I was there volunteering, helping out some teens. And the reason why I felt like, why am I here? Is because I had been to a lot of camps where God clearly showed up. And this appeared to be a camp where he was not showing up, at least in my mind. The, the talks were, eh. The, 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 the songs that we would sing weren't taking us deep into worship. In fact, the whole camp was mostly just free time. But one day, I was walking down the, to the beach, and I felt like I was supposed to slow down. It wasn't an audible whisper, but I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, Chris, just slow down. And as I slowed down on my way to the beach, the, the, the campers that were behind me, there were two of them, they, they, they caught up to me. And we just started talking, just started talking. And as we were talking, this, this young girl, she, she started opening up about some events that happened in her life a couple years ago. And, and it was hard for her at first because she said, I've really never talked about this. It, it's been really hard for me to talk about this. But, but she started to just open up. And she started to share of a tragedy that had happened in her life. She started to share about how her father had been killed in Hutchinson. Her father was a police officer. And I stopped in my tracks. And I turned to her. I said, what's your name? She said, Megan Hogan. And I shared about how God had placed me on a trial. A trial that involved her father's death. And we both sat in the sun's silence, and then she began to open up more and more, and she began to share how she had never been able to talk about this like this and, and how she had even felt distance from God. God met us there on a path between the Corona's dining hall, Camp Corona's dining hall, and the beach just because I slowed down. Let's do that right now. Wherever you are, let's slow down. Make this closing song your prayer. It's a song that begins with a reminder of a place where God showed up that first Christmas, a little town called Bethlehem. And it's a song that ends with an invitation to receive him right here, right now.